Cheryl, welcome today. There's a very somber, but somehow very beautiful conversation with your son that we had just before we began this recording. And I've just asked you if you would mind uh, saying that prayer again to your beautiful 19 year old son, Louis. Could you begin that way? Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. Uh, to great spirit and to Louis, please allow me to express my love for you in an open and honest manner. Allow me to speak the truth from my heart as your mother who carried you. Uh, I don't know what else to say. Uh, yeah, you know, you know my heart, and uh, so be it. Amen. Amen. You said everything that needs to be said in that little prayer. Your son Louis was 19 when he died. Cheryl, and I would like to discuss that with you because you very much made clear to me that you want to be one of the ones who stands up and speaks out where you feel truth is being hidden. But you did say the other day when we were discussing, you said this, I want the divine feminine in me to get to speak. I don't want to argue science. I don't want to talk as a man trying to be in my head. I want to talk as a mother. I want to talk from my heart. Now I have to clear something. Louis had managed epilepsy and right. there will be many people who will dismiss right from the outset that this could have been, his death could have been caused by anything other than that. So I need to ask you that question to start. How do you know, what makes you think that his death was linked to something else that was put into his arm? and not to the epilepsy. Thank you, because when I first heard that terrible, tragic news, I thought, okay, Louis got epilepsy. This could just be a, a tragic outcome of that epilepsy. But further down the line, we found out that after Louis' first shot, he had four seizures. So they started to become more um, out of control. He then had his second shot and he had five more seizures within 16 days. So that's not normal. Those seizures were becoming increasingly out of control. And I believe that the seizures were getting worse until that day, that final seizure that took him, yeah. There was a comment that he said almost almost in passing, um, saying, imagine, Mum, if I, I'll read it here because you gave it to me the other day. Wouldn't it be funny, Mum, if you were right? And it was a Nazi thing. And, and I'm, I'm going to leave people to take their own conclusions from, from that illusion. But it was as if he had some sense himself that things were not right. Would you say... Would you say he did have a growing sense that something had caused aberrant reactions in his body, Cheryl? That is a, a hard question because I've, I can't speak for Louis and I'm not going to speak for Louis or what was going on for him or his family. I cannot speak for anyone else. I can only speak for me. 
And, and that little quote was early on when I was pro protesting, I made a um, my banner. And my banner was a big pink heart because I thought, well, you can't argue with a heart. And it represented unity. And Louis was helping me glue it together. He stood on it to help glue it. And he said, oh, just imagine if you're right, mum. Yeah, if it is like this, wouldn't that be funny? And we're making fun of you. So I do believe, like Louis and I were very, very close as mum and son. Um, he wasn't living with me, but we were always on the phone. He confided in me. But I did notice a little bit further down the line that I don't think he wanted me to know that he was having more seizures. And I did notice there was something a little bit off between us. And that was very hard. I couldn't put my finger on it. Like, um, yeah. We won't delve into the family situation because you, in talking to me the other day, showed the utmost respect for people who have, in effect, um, ostracized you as many families have been torn asunder by this government yes. COVID response so I think we can say without being controversial that um, there has been great division within the family the wider family grouping would that be fair Cheryl? Once again I cannot speak for them we're a big family and we were a very loving family so we're very big and it's not a united front against me or ostracizing me everyone's different everyone um, has a different idea some people believe that the vaccines contributed to Louis's death um, some are adamant that no way did that affect him so they're all different and I can't speak for them and I must respect them and it's a strange thing because it's a big thing in my life. Like, how do I respect others? And I felt this all throughout the last couple of years. How do I respect other people and maintain my own respect and boundaries? And I've tried to do my best to do that. Uh, for instance, uh, I've kept away from people who are terrified of catching COVID. I, I've kept away. I think, well, that's respecting you. But then there's a point where I've said I have my own medical practices, my own way of keeping health, and I want to have that and not have that vaccine. So how do I respect others and respect myself? It's been a hard journey, really. I think there wouldn't be one New Zealander who couldn't relate to the, the problems you just spelled out there. There isn't probably one New Zealand family that hasn't had some sense of division over this. It has been a most brutal response. And for me, Cheryl, anything forced that involves a medical procedure has been shown up in the last two years to not be a great response. You can't force medical procedures on people's bodies no let's let's get into the answer though to why you feel that epilepsy itself may not have been the cause of this could his managed epilepsy suddenly have ramped up in those weeks before he died could it be that because yes. from a yes. journalist's point of view we have to address that issue in the room thank you so much and I'm not 
All I'm asking for is for it to be investigated. I'm happy to be wrong. What I would like is it for it to be looked at, and it's not being looked at. Now, I have the Pfizer files here, uh, which people may be aware of. So, you know, I've been going through a lot of stuff. And so, you know, these are the files. And they have a list of adverse reactions. And there are several um, instances of seizures coming out of nowhere of epilepsy getting worse. It's in the Pfizer files. Those Pfizer files were listing, what was it, nine pages of adverse reactions that, that Pfizer knew about before this government in New Zealand even rolled this thing out here. So this government, if it were competent, should have studied all those adverse reactions and had protocols to help people like Louis, where suddenly his seizures are ramping up. That's a very fair point. I would like to know when he did he just walk into his tent? Did they say to him, "Have you got any um, epilepsy? Have you got any, you know, other problems that may get worse?" I'm pretty sure none of that was addressed. And so, honestly, Liz, I'm not asking anyone to do anything with their bodies. Like, honestly, if you want to have those vaccines, please go for it. I'm not trying to stop people. But what I am very passionate about is informed choice. That's all. Yes. Tell people, would Louis have had those vaccines if he'd have known for a fact that it made epilepsy worse in a lot of people and it brought on seizures for people who'd never had a seizure? Those are the facts. Simple. So, you know, it's like there's the, the science, there's the logic. His seizures got worse and they got a lot worse when he had the second vaccine. And it's been known to cause a worsening of his conditioning. So I would like the coroner to look at that. Surely they don't want other people to suffer what we've suffered. Surely. And that's their job, isn't it? So that's what I'm asking for. I'm not asking for people to believe me, but I'm asking for it to be investigated. And I've got a feeling, because I've been corresponding with the coroner, that it's not going to be investigated. It's not going to be looked at. What gives you that feeling from the correspondence? What is the coroner saying? So we've been going backwards and forwards, and I don't know much about coroners. I've never dealt with them before. So, I mean, I've been jumping through hoops. It's been difficult. For example, one example, I asked for Louis' records so I could look over them and make sure that they had all the information. Well, I didn't hear back. And then when I did hear back, they, I was basically given two weeks to compile something and send it back, which was a shock. But I did that. And I had till the 14th of October to get that sent in. So I sent it in smartly, and then I got an email back out of office till the 17th. And so I was quite frightened. I thought, well, are they going to get it in time? And I've basically been given correspondence saying, we don't feel there should be an inquest. 
we've got the information. So that's what I've got so far. Cheryl, I am just horrified in a, in a period when we are having so many deaths of New Zealanders, unexplained deaths, sudden deaths, sudden adult death syndrome has become a thing. You're saying that the coroner just left the office, left the room and wasn't even on duty, has possibly gone and had a holiday. What on earth is going on? And moreover, that there is such disinterest in a case that is at the very least deserving of an inquiry, as you say. And also in the toxology report, I mean, that's something no mother wants to look at. You don't want to look at, you don't want to look at an autopsy report, but I force myself to do that. I want to know everything. And to have, you know, so they've got a list of this, that and the other and how big his lungs were and how much his heart weighed. And um, there's no mention of a vaccine. Why? 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 No mention. Cheryl. Cheryl, that is horrifying. Horrifying. I want to know. I'm not asking anyone to believe me. I'm happy to change my mind. But I do not want to ever witness a whole family grieve. I do not want to see grandchildren grieving, their uncle and brothers and sisters who loved him grieving, and a father who discovered his body. I do not want to see the haunted look on that face again. And I don't want any family to go through that when it could be a simple, oh, okay, you've got epilepsy, we won't give you the jab, or you've got heart problems, or you're pregnant. Maybe you shouldn't have that vaccine. It's not one size fits all. And I'm being very polite here. Yeah. Cheryl, it's, it's extraordinary the way you speak. And I know that thousands, thousands now of other Kiwis and other Kiwi families and mothers and fathers and cousins and sisters and brothers and children will be feeling as you're saying. What are you going to do if this coroner says we are not going to investigate Liam's death? What are your plans? Louis' death, sorry. I think that beautiful woman, Julie, yeah. um, Liam's mum, you interviewed her and I thank her too so much. And I, I do want to acknowledge Julie also, a really broken mother, but with such courage like you. And it is extraordinary the parallels between Julie and Liam and you and Louis. What are you going to do if they say no to investigating? Because Julie said to me, I will not stop until I have the answers. No, and my heart knows the truth. I have to expect that they will say no. All I can do is have a written trail and have it there for when that case is opened again, uh, whether that be in 20 years or 50 years, 
the fact is I can't bring my son back. There's probably a couple of reasons I'm speaking. One, because if there's other mums or relatives out there who are too scared to speak, I want them to not feel alone. The other reason I'm speaking is I don't want to. I want to grieve. I want to be alone. I want to grieve my son and I want to heal. But I have a moral obligation to speak. And that is why I'm speaking. Because I have to. Not because I want to. It's the last thing I want to do. It's been hell to, to grieve and be abused while you're grieving. It's a special kind of hell to be told you're stupid, you're misinformed, you're filth, and many other things. Who has told you that? Who? People say it offhand. Online, online comments. Yeah, yeah. so I can get a heart from someone. Oh, I'm so sorry your son's died. And then those who are fighting, and it's like, that's me. That's me. And I've lost myself. And you're talking about people abusing the mums and dads, the middle New Zealand, the, 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 the wounded, the ones who'd had people die, the ones who'd lost their homes and jobs, who went to Freedom Village in February. And this government, Michael Wood, painted us all as a river of filth. And you were there. Anybody less filth than you, I can't even imagine. None of us was filth. None of us. And none of us deserved that. Thank you. And the reason I went to Freedom Village was because early on, when this whole thing rolled out, I I lost my mum at the beginning of the pandemic, and she died alone. Was that anything to do with COVID? That was, she was in Australia, and I flew over to be with her, and we had the hospital beds pulled together, and I got to be with my beautiful mum, who you would love, funniest woman alive (laughs) no fear of death beautiful woman and COVID came and I was the nurses came up to me they said I'm so sorry Cheryl but you have to leave and so I had to leave my mum and I had to fly back to New Zealand and be locked away while I mean I'm sure we all remember being locked away and being fed terror terror oh you're going to be ventilated and then there's doctors and nurses and they're singing and doing dance routines and Lady Gaga's got her coffin dress on and terror 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 and I in my personal this is my personal opinion and I allow anyone their personal opinion it started to feel like mass hysteria yes And people started turning ugly early on. I couldn't believe it. They started turning on each other and attacking one another out of fear. And plus we were hearing, you know, there will be no mandates. It just started to feel like there was vaccines are coming and you're going to have them and they're rolling out. And and, and I personally was like, oh, can we just stop for a moment? Can we just, you know, don't let's look. No, they're coming and there won't be any passports. There won't be any mandates. And next thing's there's mandates and next thing's there's passports. And I think the final 
line for many New Zealanders was they are coming for the children. Mm. They will start forcing our children to have them. And they already started because I know people who couldn't play rugby, young young people. So I think that's when a lot of New Zealanders stood up and that's why I was there because I didn't want young children to be forced to have that vaccine. If you wanted to choose it for your child, go for it. I None of my business. And I just want to say that so many things about Jacinda Ardern's New Zealand, horrifying aspects. I was speaking to a beautiful young woman the other day and she said, she said, Cheryl, I was taught at school to cross-reference. And I have always thought I like my evidence weighed. I like to hear a debate. I like to hear both sides. It never happened. And that was a real red flag to me. Yeah. And I just wanted to say, yes, to me, it's very logical. My son had one vaccine. The seizures got worse. He had the second vaccine. They got completely out of control and he died. Um, it's in the Pfizer report. His beautiful doctor has given a calm report, and I salute that man. Thank you. So that's the logic. That's logical, isn't it? But there's also another part of this that I realise. There's mother's intuition. And now I look back, I think I think that's why I was fighting because something in me was screaming and I couldn't stop it. That's why I was fighting. And I feel like I wasted two years of my life. I'm a very liberal mum. My children are creative. They are very individual. But I said to them, I forbid you to take that vaccine. I bribed, I begged on my knees. I went on and on and on. And like many families, I think every family's got that one person that just won't shut up, that sounds mad. I was that person. And I'm pretty sure Louis was probably a little bit sick of me going on. We don't want to hear about it anymore, Mum. But... Uh, that was my intuition, I believe. It's not scientific. It's not logical. It's just something in my heart. You speak so beautifully. You speak from your heart. And I don't think there's one mother who's attuned who wouldn't. Those notes that you're putting out there wouldn't resonate. There is a huge part of society that's being ignored, and that is the divine feminine intuition. And I'm talking about women who really want to tap into the power of true femininity, not domineering and, and bullying and dominating men and cancelling men and being strident, but a femininity that has such a quiet power to it and a respectful power that would never abuse that beautiful female power, but would tap into the intuition that is, is wisdom of the woman. I love that. Thank you so much, because I also believe that that divine feminine, as we put it, or intuition, 
belongs to many people who are close to the land. And that's why I believe so many of our Indigenous brothers and sisters were fighting because of that innate spirituality. Yeah. And I, I wanted to say something before I forget about my great-great-grandchildren, what I would say to them about these times. You might look back and say, this was a crazy time. You know, people were forced to take a medicine and it harmed a lot of people. And I would have spoken out. I would speak out. But I would like to say that the reason people don't speak out is very simple, I think. It is a fear. And it's not a fear of government. I'm not scared of the government. It's not a fear of Big Brother. The innate fear of humans is a fear of banishment. The fear of being taken away from your tribe, your herd, your family. It's a fear of what your brother thinks or what your best friend thinks. That's the fear. That's why it's hard to speak out. Cheryl, you're extraordinary. You're extraordinary. That is what they played on. That yeah. is what this government exploited over and over and over. Yes. That's it. You talked to me the other day about that. You said, I want my great, great, great grandchildren to know that their ancestor, you, Cheryl, stood up and spoke out, even though, as you said earlier, this is not what you want to do. You want to go away and grieve and maybe one day find a way to heal over the loss of your son. You want to do that in private. But you spoke earlier of that moral duty, and I wanted to explore that more. What is that moral duty we now all must face and exercise when we know, when we are faced with the lies and the bureaucratic bungling, the purposeful, possibly, bureaucratic bungling of all of these institutions from our hospital doctors who are denying injuries to coroners? not getting back to you about the death of your son? How would they feel if their child died? And yet they're not doing their jobs. But what is that moral duty? And this message will be for them as well as for the grieving parents and the confused parents and the scared children. The moral duty is one's own truth. Now, that's all I can speak for. I cannot speak for anybody else. And I do not want to speak for anybody else. This is my truth. And if I'm a nutcase, so be it. I will still speak up. Because if somebody, you know, really believes that, I don't know, that I should be held down and injected, that's your moral truth. You speak it. But I'll speak mine. I think my son died from that vaccine. And I will speak that truth. That's mine as his mother. It is a moral duty. Isn't it corny? You know, we see so many memes, don't we? We see so many memes and cliches. Speak up. You know, even if the whole world is against you, speak up if you're trembling. Well, where is it? 
And this is it. This is what it feels like to have the whole world against you. This is it, to be the crazy one. And we always look back, don't we? We always look back and if I was a suffragette, I would have spoken up. No, you wouldn't. I'm not saying you, but do you know what I mean? If you were spat on and, and called subhuman, would you speak up? There's an incredible saying that's going around that if you ever wondered what you would have been like had you been living in Hitler's Germany, now after the last two years in New Zealand, you know, you will know whether you would have been the ones with, with cowardice and bullying on your hands or with courage to go against the flow and you are in that latter group. That's so taboo, isn't it? And we've got to watch our sacred cows. What are the things we're not allowed to speak about? The vaccine. We're not allowed to speak about that. We're not allowed to speak against the government. That's the worst thing we can do. And that's odd to me as someone who's felt free to speak. So, And we're not ever allowed to compare this to other regimes. But what I will say is I feel that there's been a huge psychological marketing campaign that has been relentless, completely and utterly relentless. And maybe I'm sorry to anyone who disagrees with me, and please feel free to do so, but maybe it's time to wake up a bit and think perhaps there's been an overreaction, perhaps there's been a little bit of brainwashing. Often people will say about people like me, oh, you're brainwashed. You saw a meme and you got brainwashed. Well, that's hilarious because we know that to psychologically brainwash a person, you need to isolate them for two weeks and then you need to feed them constantly with fear. So I know that happened. I know that happened. You speak such truths and many, many people will relate to what you're saying. But let's talk more individually now about your beautiful Louis, your beautiful son. What were his qualities? What was he like? Okay, I would love to talk about Louis. If there's one thing I would like people to know, I'll probably say about 10 things, but if there's one thing, Louis was loved. He had a very unconventional childhood. Louis uh, had big brothers and sisters, three older brothers and sisters and a little big sister. He was loved. Louis didn't have a bassinet. He didn't have a bed. He slept in our bed and he slept in the arms of his brothers and sisters. That's how he slept. He was loved. Uh, so that's what I want people to know. He wasn't a statistic on either side. He's not a poster boy for anything. He was wild. He was free. He was unschooled. So his whole life was freedom, 
to explore and be himself. And I think that really was a huge part of him. Louis was a talented musician. I'm going to start the show doing a bit of a deep dive into the amazing world of Louis Amos. He uh, started as a very young kid and uh, his talent is immeasurable. Um, Louis passed away on the 16th of Feb, just uh, six days after celebrating his 19th birthday. My thoughts go out to his family throughout an incredibly painful time. His parents, Cheryl, James, siblings, Haley, Zoe, Jeremy and Daisy, and his adoring nephews. Now, Louis did his own thing. He did whatever he wanted right from the start. I first got shown Electric Fence by my partner, Maddie, about 2015. She said it was this funny little eight-year-old kid. She knew in Wanganui. I thought, you know, this is going to be some kid being silly on the microphone. But as soon as she put on her favourite tracks, Frostbite, I knew that wasn't the case. It was uh, moody, atmospheric, crafted art. The songwriting and raw talent for melody was staggering. It was started in Wanganui, early 2012, with Louis and his beloved brother-in-law, Troy Naumoff. All the lyrics and songs were conceived by the then eight-year-old Louis and he would direct Troy on guitar by making noises with his voice. This young man was just sheer talent. I'm going to show off as a mum. Oh, I... The other day, I was sitting with some friends my age, and they were talking about their sons with such pride. You know, my son's a, a squash player, and all my son is really good on the piano and I I had to just sneak away into the kitchen and cry because I felt like I couldn't speak about my son so I am going to show off please please do please do Louis was a genius <laughs> he was a musician a gifted songwriter with a pure voice he, uh, he released his first album when he was eight. Wow. He toured New Zealand when he was 10. He was the youngest ever drummer at Camp Aloham. He was in a band with his brother, and I won't mention his brother's name out of respect, but they were soulmates and a brilliant musician. He had so much to offer the world. Another thing I want to say about my son is that he left behind a sweetheart, the most beautiful woman, young woman, and she loved him because she felt protected in his presence. He was a gentleman, six foot two, wide, broad, getting taller. I'll never know how tall he would have got. But a pure soul, an old soul. I remember when he was young, he'd say things like, such and such these days, or people these days. He was like a very, very old 
old soul. So that's quirky, unique, one in a million, loving, funny. I, I miss him. I miss him so much because um, we were silly together. Uh, we were just so stupid and we'd make strange noises and I loved that about him. We'd fight. Yeah, we'd escalate each other apparently. <laughs> Quite similar personalities in that way. He was a beautiful, beautiful young man, loved by those who knew him. How is his girlfriend coping? The whole family's broken. There are a lot of people weeping. And I'm so close to those beautiful, beautiful young women. They're beautiful. And they're healing. And I love them. I love them very much. Yeah. I think the wider significance of all of this, along with the absolute beauty of the way you describe your son and and what a loss to New Zealand I can feel that but the widest significance also is to remember you are one of many many families now going through this lose, losing one far too young wondering why wondering where the support is wondering where the help is and the acknowledgement yeah and too scared to speak out no wonder yeah I, I, I have to go back to one line you said earlier, which is that since Louis's death, you've had cruel messages on social media, haven't you? You've had cruelties. Yes, I have. And some of it is not intended because, honestly, I think most people who know me know that I'm always there to give you, to be, I love people. I absolutely love people. And I don't think they put the two and two together. I don't they think they see me as one of those protesters. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because they see the protesters as monstrous. And I don't know whether it does see hidden to think, oh, they were all white supremacists and see so many of our Maori brothers and sisters in the Maori flag. What does that look like? Or do they go, oh, they're gang members. That one's a white supremacist. Do they look at me and go, oh, well, she's just been radicalised and she's a bit mental, probably? I don't know. I think it's a hugely important question right now. And Rebecca Kitteridge, the head of the SIS, a very alarming woman, went out again to spread terror and fear, to tell us to dob on each other and to try to spread this this. Americanized, fabricated fear that is not even relevant to New Zealand. It's clearly coming from American shores to say there are terrorists among us and, and it, it, is, it is time now we reassess this. I can tell you I was there in the Freedom Village and occasionally looked at where I used to work, the ghastly mainstream media, and we can lay this fear-mongering at their door. Every one of them who's done this is responsible for they have blood on their hands from these deaths, from the, from the misleading information they have pushed down our throats for two years. But, but there was a report that night. I think there was one Trump flag or one, one sign about Trump. They singled that out in the Freedom Village. All the other signs were about love and stopping mandates and caring for one another 
a lot of words saying aroha on signs. They never showed those on the evening news. They didn't show that. And talking about what was pushed, I remember very strongly the day that Jacinda Ardern said, don't talk to your neighbour. Well, I would like to say, I think it's time for every New Zealander to speak. Speak to your cousin. Speak to the lady at the shop. I speak a lot. And you will hear that the families are torn apart. It's so, it's everywhere. People are injured. People are getting sick. People are ostracized. I know three grandmothers that are not allowed to spend Christmas with their children, their grandchildren. Let's speak to one another. We're a small country because what we're being told doesn't add up to what's actually happening. I've got a feeling I don't know. I think maybe every family's got some strange uncle who's a conspiracy theorist or someone who's harping on. Or This is New Zealand. Yeah. Go back to the ones you initially were were manipulated into thinking were weird or strange and say, why did you have a different perspective? I'd like to find out how you found your facts. I'd like to look at the research you've researched. Be more curious, New Zealand, because if we're not, we will continue to be horrifically misled. Now, I think that's beautiful advice. Talk to your neighbor again, talk to everybody we can. And Cheryl, I think a really important question is when someone says they've been sick, say, are you, are you jabbed or not jabbed? Are you okay to answer that question? And if so, how many? How many have you had? The number of people I've talked to who have not been sick, who tell me they are unjabbed, altogether unjabbed. I was talking to a hairdresser the other day who said, I have people coming in every day. I'm unjabbed. I have not been sick with COVID. Yet a lot of the jabbed people have had three or four rounds with COVID. We must now ask these questions of each other. So you went to the Freedom Village because you said you had this cry welling up in you as if you'd been screaming on the inside for two years. You went there and it was while you were there that you heard this terrible news about Louis' death. Okay, so it was on a Wednesday and I felt off all day, which is, you know, funny when you look back on it. But I want to acknowledge... As I said, I don't speak for my family, but I am allowed to say that my daughter, Zoe, and my grandson, Leo, so there's three generations of us at the Freedom Village, and I want to speak and include them because I probably, I don't know, would go insane if they weren't there on the day I heard. So I want to acknowledge Zoe and Leo. Uh, and she's been a very outspoken, brave young woman. So, yes, we were at the village. We had a tent and a beautiful little segment. Our little area was called Westside, I think. We had a bit of a joke <laughs> sat around. And it was lovely, wasn't it? It was happy. There, was, there were hugs. There was free food. There was music. It was so much not what the media painted it and this government painted it. It was New Zealand. Yeah. When, when New Zealanders get together, if someone dies and we all gather together, if there's a wedding, we gather together. We look after one another. That's what it was like. 
Yes. That's exactly what it was like. So we had our little thing. Um, my daughter would tuck me into bed and I'd hop into bed at night and they'd all be chatting. And it was beautiful. Someone's mother sent food. It was full of love. And that's my truth. Yeah. And the Hare Krishnas, they were playing. There were doctors. <laughs> there were shops. There was, you name it. And it was every walk of life every walk of life together. Of course, there was, you know, sometimes someone will be a bit off. That's true. But no, on the whole, it was full of love and songs and laughter. And that's what it was like. So And hugs. I've never been so hugged. It was gorgeous. Isn't it? I've made friends <laughs> for life. Yes. From that village. And and I would add, there was no super spreader event there. All those unjabbed people who went there did not get sick en masse, which was what we were told would happen. I, I have not got the jab. I keep away from people who are afraid of me, but at the village we weren't. And no, I've personally never given anybody COVID. Mm. I keep myself healthy. And I have my own practices. So I've heard you allude to that a few times, Cheryl. I'm going to call it out. It was a flu. It was a cold. And and if you got it, it was, you know, it was nasty. I had it for a couple of days when I came home. But I, I very quickly threw it off. And my body's immune system was able to deal with it. So you, none of us was a threat. One has to ask if they lied so profoundly about the village the atmosphere of the village, the people in the village, ask yourself, could they have lied totally about this thing, that that people were never lepers? We have to ask exactly. those questions now. We have to. My darling mm. daughter, she has chronic illnesses, chronic fatigue and fibro. So she battles a lot of illness. Now, she got COVID. I think it was on her birthday, actually. She said it was no worse than a... <laughs> her uh, flare up from chronic fatigue two days and she was fine now she's meant to be one of those people that should have died she's meant to be one of the immune compromised who was going to die according to this yes this fear-mongering well yeah. these no. facts are coming out but you were having this beautiful time and you were feeling part of it really was like the best of old New Zealand and we we didn't have any politicians honouring us. Not one of the 120 came down and spoke to us. We will all remember that at the next election. That was a very dark blot. But apart from that and the ridiculousness of Trevor Mallard playing music and the rain and, and spraying the, the gardens, we still coped with that because the farmers brought in hay. Apart from those things, the politicians looked pathetic. The people looked powerful. And so in this village where there was so much love, suddenly it was that veil of beautiful love and kindness and real kindness, gentleness among Kiwis was torn asunder for you on the night when you heard the news. Tell us, tell us what happened, Cheryl. Well, I felt off that day and I'd gone for a walk with a friend and then that evening I got a call from Louis' dad. Now, I must say, uh, if there's any bad news in the family, it's usually my job to tell people because I know how to tell people bad news. So I got a call from his loving dad and he paused. He said, I've got some sad news. And there was a pause. 
And uh, as anyone who knows, when you get terrible, terrible news, uh, something comes out of the very core of your being. It is actually like that. It is. It's like a yeah. the deepest part of you. I, I get that metaphor. Yeah. The animal comes out and I screamed and I just screamed. I screamed, just fucking tell me. I just screamed. He said, Louis has died. <laughs> the rest of the family were there. And I said to my, my daughter, I said, show me. I needed to see. And, um, you know, we're so protected in these times. The worst thing that could ever have happened, I was protected. The second my daughter Zoe heard me scream, she was there. And she let out a guttural a guttural cry, and she screamed, I fucking told you. And that came from her gut, not her head. And we collapsed together, as you do. Now, the funny thing was, we smashed into each other, and we collapsed into a nice rubbery tent, so we didn't <laughs> fall on the concrete. And... um my beautiful grandson, Leo, he was 16. I'll never forget, and I will honour him. That second that he heard what had happened, he turned into a protector. And he said, we're sticking together. And he looked after me. He just went into that mode. And I think that is incredible for a 16-year-old boy to look after his grandmother because I was in shock. And uh, I do remember um, someone, the people gathered around us. They gathered, they hugged, they were there. They grieved. You know, when you hear, that affects everybody. And uh, I was offered a sedative and there's something in me. Um, I'm a recovering addict I don't touch any substances and I just didn't want to it was like no I need to be clear I need to be conscious I need to be awake and I need to honor my son so I asked for a cup of tea and within seconds there were like six or seven mugs of steaming tea around me there was a blanket wrapped around I was sitting on a chair and uh, we were completely embraced I heard later on that when the police heard the scream that they started to advance and then someone said, someone's just lost their son and they stood back. So we were looked after every second because we had to fly from Wellington to Dunedin. So we gathered together our little huddle, Grandma, Zoe and Leo. And I remember... At the airport, my grandson saying to me, Grandma, you keep wandering off. You need to stay with me. He told me off because I must have been in shock and just wandering. And I just love him for that. And 
What a what a special young man. What a protector. Just what a yeah. beautiful warrior man does. Beautiful. Total protection and looking after. He it was like any sense of his of himself went. He was there for us. And that's I never forget that, ever. And we've talked about the divine feminine, but what you just described is the divine masculine at its yes. highest. At its highest, the divine masculine. Because I'm very, I don't want to say you've turned into a man. Do you know what I mean? Because that sounds a bit odd. But, yeah, something happened there and it was beautiful. When you got into Dunedin, you went to the hospital and there was a ludicrous enforcement of these ridiculous masks that do nothing, that stop nothing, because if they'd worked, we wouldn't have, the whole society wouldn't have had COVID or, or certainly all the jabbed who've worn masks wouldn't have had COVID. They forced a mask or tried to, didn't they? And here is a mother trying to get to her son who's died. I have a huge sense of shame. A huge sense of shame. Why, Cheryl? Because someone said, talked about it, and said, oh, you were just fighting over a mask. You didn't want to see your son. And I hope in 50 years' time, I will tell you, whoever you are, who thinks I'm a piece of filth, I will tell you then what that meant to me. Why don't you say it now? What did that mean? Because I, as a mother, know exactly what that was about. What did it mean to you, Cheryl? Well, a couple of things. When you have epilepsy, one of the things they do to test and bring on a seizure is to make you breathe in a shallow fashion. My God. And I remember when Louis got that first test, I thought, well, if breathing in a shallow fashion brings on a seizure, maybe breathing deeply will help prevent a seizure. But that apparently that's illogical. But the thought of my son not even breathing properly with that mask on all the time, a filthy mask, that's what it represented to me, and I didn't want to put it on. I was going straight up the stairs to, to be with my, my dead son. And we're not allowed to speak, are we? But for me, Personally, I've had to shut up about this. I have seen people treat me like a piece of filth. I've never given anyone COVID, let's not forget. I've seen them touch, smear, touch things, unwrap it, put their filthy masks on tables, buy food. Put it under their chins where food and drink dribbles down into it and bacteria grow. Absolutely. That is a representation of health, and I'm sorry, but for me, it is a representation of filth. Absolutely. Filth, unhygienic. If they really did care about those masks saving us, they would never have allowed masks to lie all over gutters and footpaths because those things would breed no. whatever this thing is that they're so scared of. But they haven't cared about all the masks lying around that have been used. But the other thing, it represents muzzling. It represents silencing. The black slaves, when they first came from Africa to the American plantations, the cotton plantations, were all forced to wear masks. 
the muzzling made them less human. The muzzling reminded them that they were submissive to their overlords. There is a huge representation. And for me, Cheryl, what I got when you told me about you're wanting to argue about the mask, I thought, yeah, I would have done that. This horror you'd gone through. You meet at the hospital, not compassion, not care, not apologies. We should never have done this to your epileptic son. Instead, you meet propaganda and you meet rules and you meet inhumanity, all represented in this, you will wear our mask, even if you are a mother whose heart is utterly broken. And so no wonder you said, I will not submit to your system that has taken my son. I got it absolutely. Thank you. When you told me that. It's a, it's a massive yeah. symbol of something much bigger. Once again, I respect others. Like, in fact, I probably have more respect for the one or two people who are still wearing masks. I have more respect for them. Mm -hmm. They're doing what they feel is right, and I respect them. And you asked only for the same, to be respected for your choices. Yeah. Yeah. Cheryl, you said something about Louis that was really profound. You said, I believe Louis came here to wake people up. What did you mean by that? I believe he came to teach. And the last couple of years, the light seems to have come on and things are being exposed and it's not a very nice place to live. But I also believe that this world has been sabotaged for thousands of years and it, it's all being blown open. I believe that Louis come to, well, he certainly woke me up. I'm not the same person I was nine months ago. I am stronger than I've ever been. I look after myself. I don't think Louis' death has been in vain. And I hope it's not in vain because we're all changed. Everyone who knew him has changed. Uh, I suppose I've got a different way of looking at the world. I personally, once again, my opinion, I do not believe that I evolved from a piece of snot and, you know, we're getting there. We're getting there. Oh, a few more rules and we'll become civilised. I don't believe that. I believe humans are born with a conscience and a gut and a heart. It's in us. And humans are good. That is what we are. I absolutely understand. We're good and we come here and we meet evil and we have a choice whether we'll go in the easy path of following evil or whether we will retain our goodness even in the face of attacks from evil. I believe that too. Thank you. And that's, I think that's a lie we've been taught. We've been taught that humans are terrible. We must be pushed down and given all these rules. To me, it's simple. Many people, I think, are confused. They go, well, the world's confusing. We've got this and we've got that virus and we've got monkeypox and we've got this, that and the other and, oh, it's terrible. But it's simple to me. It's very simple. It's a pyramid scheme. And where do you belong on the pyramid? The parasites are at the top, siphoning, ruling and controlling. And I think that is collapsing. And we are going back to what's real, community, giving, sharing, all those good qualities. That's what I believe. And maybe that's just my way of surviving. 
for me, I just, I, I have a garden and I garden. That's my answer to anything at the moment. Mm. That whole system is collapsing. Your answers are extraordinary. The intelligence of you, the insight, the intuition, it's sort of a marriage of all three and obviously research. And if people are doubtful about the parasitic ones at the, at the top of this ghastly heap at the moment, look up the World Economic Forum. Look up the fact that Jacinda Ardern was one of the young leaders of the Young Leaders Forum, along with many others, Macron, Trudeau, all of these world leaders who've gone there. Look up Klaus Schwab, S-C-H-W-A-B, and start to ask why New Zealand has a white paper among the World Economic Forum about transhumanism and ask what this Prime Minister's real agenda is. These are all valid questions. It's there. They do regard. They regard that if they're open about it, they won't be guilty of their own wrongdoing, but they will be. We just have yeah. to wake up. We have to. And maybe we need to ask, who do you serve? Who do you serve? To ask Jacinda, who do you serve? Do you serve those above you in the pyramid? Or do you serve the people below? <laughs> the people are well above Jacinda. Do you serve the people of New Zealand? Or do you serve the 1%? The 1% yeah. of the elites who are currently doing their climate change fear-mongering at their shared conference on all their private jets where they've flown there. Those are all questions that arise out of your answers because you are such a thinker, Cheryl, and I'd love, to, I'd love to know that you don't put yourself down ever again. This conversation is one of the richest interviews I've ever had. It's absolutely incredible. This means a lot to me because I feel thick. I can't argue scientifically. I'm not an academic, and that's what we seem to honour in this world and it's, um, to me, it's like science, science, it's not real science, it's like religion. Oh, no, you can't question that. Oh, that's a mystery. It's crazy. And there, I, I feel like I can't speak. I can't argue with people on Facebook. I'm useless. But I know what I know. You're the furthest thing from thick, Cheryl. You're highly intelligent and very intuitive. And it really more reflects a society that's so out of balance. The head and the heart are not in balance anymore in our societies. And we had great balance when women's intuitive feelings were also acknowledged. And there was, there was honoring of, as you said at the beginning, the divine feminine. How have you got through as a mother, as a mother of of great divinity, actually. You you clearly love your role as a mother and a nurturer and one who loves people, as you said. How have you survived these last nine months? Thank you. I really appreciate this because I also think that other mothers, family members who are going through the same thing, I would like to say, you must grieve first. Honour your grief. That is so important. I've had to hide away and honour myself and mother myself. And that's a gift that my beautiful boy has given me. I live very simply. Sometimes I'll get through the day and it's one o'clock and I go, shut it down. Shut down the day. Put on Louis pyjamas. Watch some rubbish TV. Do not let 
anybody rob you of your grief? Nobody. And I, I've been seeing a grief counsellor, which is amazing. And the gift that Louis has given me is I have broken and I've allowed myself to break. And that's a huge gift because when you break, you surrender. And I've had to surrender every day. I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. And life evolves. Um, I expand. So I will never be the same again. And I also have a spirituality. My son, his body died. When we give birth, you have a child and you have a placenta. When the child is born, the cord is cut, placenta is buried or whatever. And we don't look at the placenta again. And when you die, the silver cord is cut, the body goes, but the spirit is more alive than ever. And I'm so lucky because I don't believe my son extinguished. Mm. No, I believe his consciousness and his spirit is big and it's more alive than I am. He transformed and it's forced me to transform and grow. And that's it. Do you sense him around you? I do. I do. Um, I get hearts. And on Mother's Day, I was not really into Mother's Day, but it was a very hard day. And on my carpet, I found a perfect little silk heart. I don't know where it came from, but I framed it. So I get hearts from him. A wise man once said that when you think about your loved ones, it's because they're thinking of you. And sometimes I get silly thoughts in my head. We were just so silly together. We started a band, and anyone who knows me knows I can't sing, would laugh at that. And it was called, he called it, Glenn McGoyle and his mother. And so we'd make <laughs> ridiculous songs up. And, yeah, I can't repeat some of those, but sometimes they'll come into my head. Yeah, no, he's more alive than ever. And it's a weird thing because, of course, it would be lovely to see him again in the flesh. I also wouldn't want him to be smaller than he is because he's free. He's one with the universe. He's huge. He, I don't think he even cares about these worldly matters. He was a big soul, uh, 19, and lived a big life. Like he toured with a couple of bands, released a couple of albums, made music. I feel a bit sad because I'd like to share some photos. We've got a big family, and I will share some photos. But I have to respect my family. I would love to have his music playing so people could hear his music. This whole interview, every reply of yours has been peppered with the deepest of respect for others. And I just know that this interview will bring to you the deepest respect from others as well. Because Cheryl, you, you. you are just quite an extraordinary woman and the riches in this interview, I think will help so many others who are quietly suffering and will give courage to speak out and stand up 
and demand coroner's reports, demand answers and not give up, like Julie with her Liam, you with yeah. your Louis, Thank to not you, give Julie. up until the answers come. What were you going to say? About divine feminine. I've been thinking a lot about misogyny and how women are shut up. My mother was a wild woman. You would have loved her. She was the funniest woman. She had no fear of death. She was wild. You know, I wanted a mother that baked scones. I didn't get that. I got a mother who <laughs> sailed off on boats with sailors for a few weeks. <laughs> but she was beaten, beaten, her head against the wall. She was exorcised. She had electric shock treatment. And I grew up thinking it was her fault. I grew up with that. She had such a big mouth. It was her fault she got beaten. Why didn't she shut up? And me speaking up as a mother, I think I feel, oh, no. Oh, but I'm not a good mother, Liz. I'm a terrible mother. Oh, I remember Louis used to always say, threw a cup at him. Oh, remember that? I can't speak up because people will attack me. And I think that's the divine feminine, that we're attacked. Does that make sense? You're a nutter. You're psychotic. We like all women, but we don't like the mad ones. Uh, it's a, it makes perfect sense. And know this, it is a badge of honour. The day I put up my most vulnerable first love letter saying, Jacinda Ardern, you cannot do this to this country. My father did not fight in the war for a little two-bit politician to take away the freedoms of me and my fellow Kiwis. And I alluded to the earthquake as a metaphor for the horror of our very mother, Mother Earth, because the horror of the mother and me was just vibrating at that point. And what did her people do, her media? They came after me as mad, insane. And they went after that for months and months. I don't care because the ones who are... Shakespeare knew this, his characters in something like King Lear, the Joker was the wise one. So the wise artists have always known that the ones who are called mad are really the leaders. They see things, they see the nonsense, they see the lies, but they also see the direction a society can go. Thank you. I was going to say before, Cheryl, when I spoke to you earlier, you said something quite marvellous to me. You said, I didn't come here to be born, to go to school, to have a job to retire and to die. You said something profound. You said, I believe Liz, I came here to master life and that Louis' death is helping me to do that. Thank you so much, yes. Explain that a bit more, yes. Well, that goes back to that idea that we came from a piece of snot and we evolved and we're still getting there and to be a good citizen we do a b c and d well i didn't come here for that i came here to master life and uh, my son's death has forced me to master things that i didn't think i could ever ever survive that's why i'm here for spiritual reasons what happens when you open to that grief what happens when you do what you explained before? I opened fully to my grief. Because we're taught not to break, aren't we? We're taught, oh, you you know, a strong person never breaks. Well, there's, there is a beauty in breaking because it breaks open your heart. 
I surrender to something bigger than myself. Uh, I get down on my knees and I say, I can't do this. And I've been forced to mother myself. I've never mothered myself. I Oh, you should see what I eat. I eat beautifully every day. I go into my garden. I treat myself like a newborn baby. That's how I'm surviving my grief. I'm looking after myself. And it becomes addictive. In a good way. In yeah. a beautiful way. <laughs> yeah, it's like my life force. I, I cannot put my life force anywhere that will harm me. It's a beautiful thing. And I think this is how I'm meant to live. I loved what you said about Shakespeare. My previous craft was I was an actor and a drama teacher. And I love that Shakespeare said, you know, our job as actors is to hold a mirror up to society. That's our job. And it will be interesting to see what stories come out a bit later on. I'm sure there'll be a few comedies where, you know, the conspiracy theorists with the thicko, you know, there'll be a few comedies, but there will be truth come out by playwrights and uh, actors. And that will be interesting. I looked at Rebecca Kitteridge, the head of the SIS, trying to put fear mongering and make us tell on each other and I thought this honestly could be a Monty Python skit it could be a Monty Python enough already Labour government we've had you we've had enough of your lies we've had enough of your terrorizing us don't even try it with climate change we're done we're over with it yes we can look after our mother earth but not with all this fear-mongering you're doing exactly. that's another whole conversation I could talk to you for hours Cheryl I do want though to ask you to look down the camera with whatever message comes to your heart for this Prime Minister first and then secondly I, I want to ask you to talk to your great-great-grandchildren imagine them one day seeing this interview and there's a message at the end for them but first the Prime Minister what would you say to Jacinda Ardern for what she's done to this country culminating in your personal life in a grievous loss? I would say nothing because I don't think Jacinda Ardern cares. So my life force isn't going to go there. You can't appeal to something that does not exist. I've learned that the hard way through my life. But what I will do is perhaps appeal to anyone in that beehive that has a shred of conscience. If there's a, a shred of conscience anywhere uh, and you're feeling really uncomfortable, congratulations, you're not a psychopath. And if you speak out, the people will embrace you. They will forgive you. So if anyone is in that building and feeling like they cannot speak, please do. The time to speak is now because people will be held to account that will happen. So that's what I would say to the government. Could I extend that, Cheryl? Uh, I want that message to go also to those in mainstream media who are waking up to the horrors that you've covered up in mainstream 
you've gone along with the pressures in somewhere like Radio New Zealand or TV One or TV Three to just conform, to stay silent when you know there have been other stories and now thousands of other stories you should be telling. And you know you shouldn't be just going along with this government's propaganda. Speak up, stand up, we will embrace you. You will be heroes if you come from that dark world over to the light of truth. And the other one is to the police as well. I've heard that the police are absolutely demoralized. They know much of what they've done in forcing this government's horrible, uh, well, look at March the 2nd in the Freedom Village, the horrors of that. They know it was wrong. And, yes. and somebody told me, he was working with a police officer the other day who said, none of us like Jacinda Ardern or Labour. None of us respect her. I can't find one police officer who respects this government. No. Put your badges down. Put your salaries down. Even in politics, walk out of parliament and say, I don't want to take one more day of money for selling my soul for something that's wrong. I agree with you. What a beautiful call, Cheryl. What a beautiful call. Thank you. Can we finish now with your, with your heartfelt, the divine feminine the, the great, great, great grandmother's message yes. to her offspring. What would you say if one day they could look at this? I don't know, 150 years from now. Yes, I would say, I hope, well, no, I don't hope. I know that the world you live in is one of compassion and abundance and health and vitality and sharing and if you look back on these times just like I look back on times where we perhaps we sprayed DDT on children's heads and we looked back and said that was just so silly and you might look back and say what times I can't believe that you were forced to take a medicine that you were so terrified and no one spoke out. Why? And I will say the reason people don't speak out and the reason I am scared is because I'm scared I will be banished. That's the truth. Our greatest fear is being separated from our loved ones, and it's happened all over our country. Don't be afraid to speak your truth, even if the whole world is against you, because things make sense in hindsight sometimes. That's what I would say. Or you might look back and think, oh, my grandma was a nutter. <laughs> and that's okay too, because you have freedom of speech to think what you like. Yeah, that's what I would say. And I'd add one thing more to that as well, Cheryl, if I may. I love it when you add. <laughs> well, I would just say to them, you have the most extraordinary ancestor, a woman of great courage who suffered enormously in ways that no mother ever wants to, who has had to see her own child put in, in a grave. And yet she still stood up against the abuse and against the cruelty. She stood up with love and forgiveness and dignity and courage. All the things you've offered us, Cheryl. I've really valued talking to you so much. 
and I know thousands and thousands of other Kiwis will, and I hope you all send a heart in your little messages in the thread comments, because this is a woman who, whose Louis will be dropping hearts around you for the rest of your life, I suspect. Thank you. And I want to thank you because you were at the cold face. You took all the, the slings and the arrows. And it's your bravery that has allowed me to speak. And I trust you implicitly. So thank you. This means everything to me. I felt free. I felt connected. And I've loved this. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. It's every one of us who stand up. We are all deserving of that praise from you. I, I've loved talking to you and I would love to keep in touch with you. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. Why did you want to start a band? Because oh, it's fun. I wanted to go for the chance. Who are your biggest influences? Um, David Bowie, uh, The Locusts, um, Carols. Oh, you like that? That was awesome. Yikes. Yeah, I hard to explain. I've got a lot of Everything. influences. Everything. <laughs> yep. How long have you been playing drums for? Um, maybe about... About a, just over a year? No, not just over a year now. Like, I've been playing drums before I met you. Um, maybe about three years, actually. Yeah. Maybe that. And what's, what sort of drumming do you like to do? What's the styles you really dig? I'm not sure I really have a style. I just That's probably go the crazy. best answer. <laughs> What do you write songs about? Uh, well, some things are actually kind of depressing. <laughs> Come on. Um, well, mostly just depressing stuff. We've got some happy songs. Yeah. It's like, I didn't think I really have something to write about. I just, you know, write what I think. I, th I think Louis' songwriting's if you read the lyrics, it's actually quite profound. Like, Louis, Louis you've said to me that um, you like... It's like, what was it? That you like the idea of writing songs that will make someone think that it's important to them, but it's not actually important to you, but they might think it is. Yeah. I mean, like, my songs aren't exactly about me. Yeah. Sometimes it's not about anybody at all. But they're about things that people can relate to? Yeah. Exactly.